0: Hi there. Welcome to the Culture of Life podcast from Human Life International. I'm Tad Wojcik, the Mission Research Specialist here again with Father Shannon Bouquet. Tad,
1: as always, good to be with you.
0: Yes, of course, Father. Um, Thanks for being with me here again today, Father. We're talking again about this um, really uh, still tenuous, still uh, uh, not official situation, um, but in anticipation of the Supreme Court uh, decision regarding Dobbs versus Jackson women's, women's health, um, and anticipating hopefully an overturning of Roe versus Wade. Now there's some more developments and, uh, just kind of keeping up this conversation, which is really the most significant event in pro-life history in the last, um, probably since Roe v. Wade, honestly. So, um, Father, if we could uh, just get right into that and what you have to say sure. about that this week.
1: Well, you know, it's, it's a follow-up column, you know, to, uh, you know, from last week's, you know, discussion. And you know, I think what's important is all the details. We just need to keep ourselves aware. So I'm not going to really, today, we're not obviously going to talk about all those details again, but, you know, what I want to do here is just, you know, as we keep looking toward this conversation, as a matter of fact, I just heard from some uh, uh, political leaders, you know, who share our our views and approach, uh, just thanking me for the columns and thanking me for bringing this uh, to people's awareness, And but also they shared articles that they've written. You know, so there's a lot of people that are in this conversation now looking at it, both from how does it affect our political uh you know uh, conversation how does it affect the potential how does it affect our social you know uh, and cultural you know ways of life in other words, what's the impact and that's what really i'm trying to keep in front of everyone is you know one to educate people what does the, the draft opinion say you know what's the language of it but this column you know kind of keeping that conversation moving is what do we do with, with this now? So how do we anticipate what it looks like beyond Roe? What, you know, what, what's gonna be our, the challenges that we're gonna face? What are the, the spiritual you know, uh, issues that are at stake here? How do we bring this conversation into our, our states, into the various you know, daily life? And I think that's the real challenge for us right now because you know, as I mentioned in the column for 57 years now, there's been a mindset that has been established and as we see right now with those who are uh, on the other side of the aisle who are wanting to advance abortion you know as that i mean this is pretty much if you look at the age group of those that are engaged in this conversation it's a mindset that's been established and and so the real challenge really is not just the the, the law and having it uh, become overturned and then thrown back to the states at least as far as we can see but with the arguments in the states, with the advancement of pro-life legislation in the states, all this needs to happen. We also need to think about how do we affect people's minds, mindsets, understanding, how do people approach the subject? How do we, we talk about life itself, the value of life, the beauty of human sexuality as God intends that, that wonderful expression of love between husband and wife to be fulfilled and to reach its purpose. And, you know, these are the things that have fallen out of the conversation, the narrative. And as we know, there's a secular narrative, Tad, that, that controls the conversation. And whether we're talking about, you know, the issue of chastity and purity, whether we're talking about, you know, marriage itself, whether we're talking about the issue of human sexuality, the narrative is not being governed by Judeo Christian values. It's really governed right now, sadly, through social media, you know, the whole movie industry, the, 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 the whole narrative is really governed by a secular understanding. And that's where our challenges, I believe, is going gonna, is gonna to come. It's always been there. And now all the more we need to bring this to bear. And so as I did in my column, you know, without getting into great, great detail, which I'm going to keep doing, I'm going to follow up with this some more, especially, you know, once this decision comes out. We you know we need to be proactive now, anticipate, and at the same time you know as I've been doing with other pro life leaders, thinking of objectives, strategies. What can we be doing to help each other in the various ways we approach the subject? Because there are so many people today that are are, are dealing with this issue. Uh, some just very strongly quote on the abortion issue alone. Many of us are engaged on many other aspects of the conversation. and HLI has been in this conversation from the very beginning and uh, approaches this, this conversation a little differently. And so, we, so for us and for myself, I am want to look at things more deeply, you know, marriage itself, the ends of marriage. How does contraception play into this conversation, which is what the latter part of my article really gets into in more detail. So but for all of us in, in the pro-life movement and especially the leaders, you know, we have been talking about this moment. And so uh, we're we're. Not surprised, quote, to be in the moment. We're, we're glad to be here, and we've been talking about this, but the surprise is that we are here. You know, we, we have an opportunity in front of us. So I think it's very important for everyone who is uh, involved in the pro-life and family movement to be thinking of what can we do individually in our communities, within our church family, you know, among friends and, you know, and wherever our conversation may take us. And then we also have to think of how do we unite so we, we, as we have been doing very strongly over these now, you know, 57 years, is how do we, you know, keep uniting each other, you know, bringing each other together to the table? How do we support each other in this movement? So our, as we said last week, you know, Tad, and our last time we, we talked about this was how do we support our pro-life legislators? How do we support our pro-life governors? How do we, you know, help, you know, those who are, you know, in those moments or opportunities of conversation at a certain level in society that you, Tad, and myself are not in? How do we support them? What can we do to help them? And then, you know, from our side of the, uh, the conversation is, you know, for working with priests, working with seminarians and religious, not only here in the United States, but globally, how do we talk about this? And so that's, that's kind of where I am. You know, and, and also, so it, it, there's so much here in front of us. And, I, and I, I repeat what I said last time. I see if we're given this opportunity through the decision of the court, if it stands as it is, this is a moment of grace. It's a moment of opportunity, Tad. It's a it's a moment of hope where we can rewrite, you know, a great wrong, where we can, um, you know, a, a right or wrong, I should say, and, and where we can turn the conversation. And that just means we're going to have to really— be clear in what we're advancing so I, I see this as a great great moment
0: yes father and um i think we touched on this a little bit last week um as you're talking about how it's it's a really a moment to um, of kind of a national reckoning uh with what's uh, what we've come to as a nation and um i think one way in which we can pick up on that is we we did mention it a little bit last week but talking about here it's a great opportunity i i assume you mean it's also not just a great opportunity as far as um the abortion issue moving into the states and then that becoming more of a popular conversation uh at each you know state legislature level um right. but also really getting at the root of the contraceptive mentality in our culture right. which as we've discussed many times is the cause of abortion as well as all the other uh right. you know I don't know what you call them, like the flagship sins of our generation. Right. Um,
1: well, I think, you know, Tad, you know, just obviously, you know, I just wrote a column just today that speaks about, you know, quote, popular vote, bringing this to a popular vote. I mean, I'm always leery of something of this nature because of the very fact that we have such poor catechesis, poor formation, poor understanding. Uh, I get into this in my column, you know, when we have people who actually say that they're pro-life, but actually believe in exceptions, you know, and so that means no, they're not necessarily Pro-life, you know, the I mean, pro-life means we value life. We're not arbitrarily choosing a stage or a moment or a situation. We're
0: creating exceptions where, uh, you know, oh, never mind that. Yeah, that correct. Sympathetic like you can have a child enough. that's
1: diagnosed with a genetic abnormality. Right. You can have people who think that within the first trimester. So we really have so we have a long way to go, you know, to really to bring a a, a real life ethic. To bear we have to really work at this and so uh, i think that that's the real challenge that's going to be now put on us even more you know because as this debate moves to the states uh the lines are going to be very clear and you know so we need to be as a church as a people of faith across the christian lines our jewish brothers and sisters and many others you know who share our our approach to life and its value so we we all need to really think about how are we going to do this now, with regard to that, this is what, you know, really prompted me doing a follow-up because I received a number of comments from the first column. And, you know, people were just, you know, talking about, you know, the, uh, what can we be doing? And so I think maybe we can do before we kind of talk about, you know, the root issue that you, you talked about and, and mentioned is it's for people to really, I mean, right now until we see what this is going to finally be, but I, I really think that there's a lot right now that especially as a church, and I've been reading many uh, different uh, diocesan uh, papers and or at least people sending me articles and and links, and it's great to see that people are talking. They're asking questions, and it's great to see that, you know, from different priests and religious leaders and from our bishops that it's it's percolating. In other words, this conversation is really now in forefront. You know, if anything else, what this draft did is it's now made it almost basically the number one conversation. Uh, and that's great, because now it allows us to address these issues. And I've seen people you know, who are dealing you know, with this, uh, now being invited to interviews, they're writing articles. So I would say on the local level, is that if we're pro-life leaders working in our states, you know, you know our pro-life uh, uh, state organizations, that to be thinking, especially, you know, even in the states where we, would, we think we have a hold, if you will, on the pro-life agenda, I can think of a number of states, my own state in Louisiana has been very strong as an advocate, you know, for life, but we should never take anything for granted. We should never just assume that, you know, that even with the trigger laws that we've talked about before, where those, those states that have uh, pro-life um, bills are now a law just waiting to become a law, you know, that's going to protect life, that's great. But it doesn't mean that the other side of this conversation is just going to roll over. You know, you're still going to have people trying to push legislation, push things. So we need to be proactive. I would also say we ought to start really having some prayer vigils, you know, from a spiritual side, is to pray for everybody involved, you know, to to offer fasting and prayer, you know, for everyone that's involved in this conversation, which means All of us could be doing that. You know, I've already intensified my own time in prayer, you know, with a specific intention. I'm, you know, offering uh, specific masses for this intention, you know, praying that, you know, that all of us will be protected, you know, during this time. Because as we've seen, you know, uh, there have been uh, some very tense, very emotional uh, gatherings of people protesting. Uh, Thus far, we have not seen, you know, any um, any violent activity, I hope that stays that way, uh, but again, we just need to be thinking of how to to approach the conversation and how to address it how as priest, how do we talk about this? And right now, I know it 's kind of hard because we don 't have a definitive um, a, a statement yet we don 't have a decision yet. however, all things pointed seems that this is going to be the decision and if it stands as it is then we need to be thinking how am I going to, to preach about this you know how am I going to as a, as, a, as a priest as a pastor of a local Christian community you know maybe I'm the local Jewish rabbi working you know in life and uh, life cause uh, matter of fact I had a conversation uh, just a few days ago with a Jewish rabbi who has been in with this great pro-life work for, for decades and you know just thinking what do we do so I'm hoping that this is being much thought of now with all that said Ted let's talk about what I do get into in the article which is not always understood by many of those working in our pro-life cause and what fall the marks always addressed as the root cause it's it's the contraceptive mentality so it's, and, and I go into quite a bit of length in my column, the latter part of it, you know, to talk about this and, you know, what does this mentality do and, and what's been created. And we have to really pause, you know, and I did this purposely in my column to remind people that, you know, that uh, uh, birth control, as we know it, was legalized for married women, you know, uh, under, uh, uh, under the Supreme Court ruling. And then we know a few years later, another ruling, and here I'll just make note of them so that people remember them. So this was Griswold versus Connecticut in 1965. So this is when the Supreme Court uh, legalized birth control for married women. Then in 1972, right, a year before we see Roe v. Wade, the same court legalized under uh, Einstadt versus Baird in 1972 where unmarried women. And have access quote to birth control so basically for 57 years that's what that's why i'm using that number goes back to 1965 that the mindset has really entered into this where it's just accepted that that birth control artificial means of preventing you know uh, or uh, methods of mechanical or chemical you know to prevent the conception of a child has now entered so this mentality is that basically it normalizes it? It just the reasoning for it, the justification for it.
0: And it's interesting, Father, that there, the the normalization it seems to me is affected by um, what's well, it's actually the same mechanism in in both um, Griswold versus Connecticut and Eisenstadt versus Baird as was in Roe v. Wade, is this. Uh, well, all constitutional law has to appeal to the Constitution, right? So right. they had to appeal to something in the Constitution to cover right. these issues in the first place. And that was what they called a right to privacy, um, which was sort of tenuous at best, legally speaking. But even irrespective of that, there's this, um, the normalization is affected by this idea of, okay, we have our own law, man's law right. can usurp divine law, or even right. natural law, really, in this case. Correct. Um, and that's why it can, essentially, it's like a national mental illness, like a delusion of uh, conscience that because we made this, we claimed this, declared this, you know, in our legal tradition now, right. I mean, it wasn't there before, but let's make it by fiat, first of all. Second of all, um, that that legal language is enough to kind of inculcate that mentality then correct
1: that's correct and, and, and as you can tell i mean obviously it it, it was there before the, mm-hmm. it became the law and so so this mentality is there so this uh, 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 really what we say is it's a misunderstanding of human persons it's a, it's a falsification of a human good you know uh, a good that's created by our creator you know and has a purpose and, it has, uh, and, and, and what's so beautiful about this is that this is not being discussed. That's the, that's the bad thing is that there's something beautiful here at stake. There's something of richness of, of, we talked about last time, and it's, it's being forgotten or it's being ignored or just completely rejected. And in its place is something false. And so the whole tenet of the sexual revolution was to unmoor, you know, the human person from these, which are these, Beautiful treasures that God has entrusted to man and to woman, and and the ability to use reason to understand how to discipline oneself and how to exercise in a right manner, in a moral way, of how to approach this conversation. So, but all this is, we're back to the narrative, because this narrative that you and I are addressing in a limited way, in a very brief moment, you know, is not the narrative. And as a matter of fact, uh, if we tried to put this into a, a public interview, we'd be booed off a stage we would be would be, be mocked, we would be told that you know that's passe whatever the word or phrase or anyway it would not want, it would not be welcomed because it's it's not welcome today you know to talk about purity and chastity in single individuals you know to talk about chastity within the, the, the uh, understanding of the human person is today in a world that really is driven by, you know, um, uh, an understanding that, you know, uh, sexual activity is just norm. It's just to be accepted. This is what people do, you know, looking at it purely from a biological, from an emotional uh, perspective, and not looking at the total person, you know, not looking at the the individual.
0: And I would say even nowadays in in sort of an even the biological aspect is disregarded, right? Let's, of course, because even animals have their mating seasons. They're not, uh, and and then you know the question of homosexuality and other things. Contraception is not in the purview of animals at all. Right. Um, so there's something in the natural law that is even That's right. uh, it's violated. Yeah, violated by these dubiously arrived at, uh, uh, laws of man. And
1: that's why it's, for, for us, is how do we, again, bring this back to the surface? It's something the church has never lost. I mean, the church has been faithful and consistent in teaching, and we've, we've spent many times in our podcast and in my writing talking about the, the works of John Paul II, the works of Paul VI, you know, many others before them, and and, and even today, you know, our Holy Father, uh, Pope Francis, has actually been talking about this a lot more uh, of late, you know, and looking at a demographic winter, you know, a rejection of, of family life, a rejection of being open to children. And so so this conversation is here and the church, we just need to keep bringing it to bear. But we have to be very clear here that so many, I've encountered this, where people do not understand what the church teaches regarding, you know, the the, the ends of marriage, the unitive and procreative, That we, we, because they're not hearing it. They're, they're, it's not in their catechesis. It's not in their formation. And we cannot ignore the fact that, you know, Many of our our young people in our younger generation are coming from broken homes. They're coming from different experiences within family life. All of this is affected what they hear in their schools, what's being taught in uh, in their school systems uh, uh, about uh, expressions of human sexuality and so forth. So there's a lot out there. And so when I start talking about this, you know, from an interview or in an interview or writing about it, uh, and I, I mean, I've had people call in in live programs, you know, and, you know, question, you know, what what, I'm, what we're talking about. But again, it, it's something they haven't heard before, and, and they're hearing it for the first time. And of course, as any of us would be, when we hear something for the first time that really doesn't resonate with us, our first impression, our first reaction is to do what, Tad? Is to Is to reject it, is to think, oh, this 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 person's insane or crazy. I mean, what is all that about? Um, But our job is to be patient and firm, and to just keep moving forward, keep talking about it, keep it out there, and that's what I do here. You know, I even you know quote you know from the Catechism, I quote from Humanae Vitae in my column, and talking about what is, what does the Church actually teach? But I, I just want to pull back to that again, just to follow the marks again, our founder, you know, in 1979, I'll repeat again what I've mentioned many times before in in my writing and podcast with you, is his prediction, which really kind of echoes the prediction of Paul VI. And now this is a conversation in 1979 with now St. John Paul II. And he's looking at the situation in the culture that has rejected the Judeo-Christian understanding of human persons and respect owed to human persons and the dignity of marriage and the dignity of the conjugal act between husband and wife and instead is is welcoming the the false understanding that is being proposed and advanced by those who uh, in the sexual revolution the whole narrative of the secular culture And, and he's looking at this and saying if this continues then the consequences are going to be and he goes through great uh, time with the Holy Father, naming what those consequences are. It makes me again think of Paul VI, in you know, this prophetic understanding that if we do not, uh, you know, uphold the natural law, what God has revealed to us, what is we understand through our magisterial teaching throughout the centuries, then these are the consequences. And he names them in 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 Vitae. and this is important for us. To, to recognize and here we are
0: because yeah I was gonna say some of those I don't remember exactly everything but they included things like widespread fornication right. uh, abuse of women by men right. sexually um, even it's kind of cu- culturally normative or unconscious kind of just women we talked about this uh, in one of our other episodes exactly. um, and, uh, and as well as control population control and by used by governments
1: right. and and, and, and we see, we would see divorce, the breakdown of the family, you know. And, and, and
0: I think there was there's one quote that I, that he finished that series with, a general increase in immorality or something right. like that. And, and that's pretty much what we've seen. We talked about when you right. come up with examples, your airplane examples of vulgarity or immodesty, things Correct. like that, um, right. it it's pretty much right. the nail on the head. But this there.
1: is this is the challenge, I, I really think, that, that the, 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 this moment with, with the, uh, the court, dealing with abortion, you know, is as we said in the very beginning, is is a wide net for us now because we have to really get underneath what brought us to this this moment of time? Not from not just a legal. I mean, obviously there was a, a a very strong current running through the culture. You know, at the time of Roe, and you know, and there was a recent you know movies and programs and writings on this. You know, of you know what was the court feeling? What were the uh, the pressures on the court? You know, what was happening within the, uh, the political and social uh, c- cultural systems at the time? All that affects, and so that's no different today. You know, so for us to just kind of pretend, you know, that uh, that this um, decision of the court uh, is it's going to miraculously just you know create you know this this great wave of change, it has the potential, obviously, of all the things we talked about, but it really is going to be for us to step forward and to and to help that change become really transformative, which means it's hearts and minds. You know, if we, as you just said, you know, if, if the conversation we're having you know, Tad, is is very foreign to, as, to so many people. So how do we not make it foreign? So, Even a lot of
0: Catholics. Of course.
1: That, that's why I, I see this as a moment of time, you know, for us as a church to re- reassess our approach to the goods that God himself has given to us. And how do we, we, we address them? How do we speak to them? And we have so many people that, you know that really believe you know in what that narrative in the secular culture says to be true and so we have to unravel that we have to unpack that and to be able to expose the great lie and expose uh, what has been promoted as a good as true as that which really has been false and and not approach it always from the negative you know in the sense of how we look at something so but to approach it from the good that it is and to unpack that good and and to realize that that god is advancing our good our flourishing and he is he has given to us these goods for our good and well-being and for the good of each other and and to see that if we're honest and we look at our culture we realize what the by oftentimes people will say it's the catholic church that makes us all feel guilty you know, uh, but no one really pauses and stops and, and wonders, you know, then if that were true, then, you know, we would have, uh, how would I put that? You know, it's, it's not the church that's making me feel guilty. There's something within me that is resonating with what the church has said and, and making me question, well, am I guilty? You know, is there something wrong with this? Why would the church continue to, to ring that bell and in an age where you know people just don't don't want to listen to that anymore uh, because there's something true here that's why the church continues because that's the mission is to keep bringing to bear that good that truth and if, if i have found that when we approach people and and keep that that in forefront that a good many people you know their their hearts open and they receive so that's what i'm, I'm, I'm trying to get to is That we just need to set that course to be able to work on on this on this conversation but to ignore contraception would be a very danger here because it goes back to what i was saying you know earlier with father marx that if we ignore the root that that anti-life mentality that i don't want to to conceive a child that's what contraception is against life and if i have that mentality and i've justified my reasoning for that and as we know that when contraception fails, then now we have this life, this unique life. And so what do we do? And that's where abortion comes in because abortion is, it can use that to, quote, to to render what I did not want. It helps me to complete what I did not want. And that is, I did not want this child. So <clears throat> pardon me. So I think it's, it's something that we have to really recognize that if we, it's not just quote saying, We're going to change the law we're going to end abortion we have to get underneath it and get underneath the mindset that was there before and still there and so that's the real challenge that we have that i i believe is there and and i I see this as a moment to do that
0: thanks father yeah i mean uh, i i definitely agree i think we are in that situation where god's i think we mentioned this last week that god's giving us a grace to kind of a national moment of uh, examination of conscience and yeah. uh, be able to really say, okay, what are we? What path have we been on? And uh, where are we going from here? And um, hopefully can correct that. I wanted to shift into something very practical, Father, that mm-hmm. uh, affects a lot of people. It affects people. Um, I'm sure it affects you. It affects me, um, and probably most of our listeners and viewers. But how can we talk to uh, most of us have family members who are no longer practicing the faith or uh, if they are are in disagreement on these issues uh, in particular contraception um, but also maybe abortion how can we talk to uh, family members about these things sometimes these uh, divisions can be very close to the heart i mean our lord said i will have you know Father against son and, and daughter against right. mother uh, because of these issues, um, because of him really, but right. th- that means these issues <laughs> um, That's uh, in this case. So uh, maybe just some advice. Uh, my
1: advice for, first always you know, is I need to be aware of what the church actually teaches. So I need to be versed in what is the language of the church. So, so it's important, look at the catechism on marriage. You know, it's a good, good starting point. If we're, if we're talking about the issue of, of contraception, of marriage, human sexuality, the dignity of human persons, we've got to start with what does the church truly teach? And it's, it's the first place where I, I confront my own understanding. And there could be that maybe as a, as a Catholic, I really do not understand fully what the church teaches, or maybe I do, and, but it still is a good chance for me to reacquaint myself familiarize myself once again, and then I'm able not to say, well, Catechism number 21 says this or 21A says that with my family or friends. But what it does, it gives me a, a good foundation and uh, helps me to be comfortable in what I understand and to be able to articulate that in a very calm, in a very uh, sensitive and compassionate manner. Even with someone sitting across the table who could be my parent, it could be a grandparent, it could be a brother, sister, cousins, Friends, be able to have a conversation, and even when someone maybe responds not from a, a friendly tone, to not get caught in that, and to and just to to accept, you know, that there there's going to be some differences, but that if you keep working forward, if you keep explaining things, so starting with self awareness, self education, what does the church teach, and that is the starting point, and then be able to maybe even pose before you talk to anyone. You know, sit down with a friend who you already know, a family member that shares the same approach, same, the value, same values, have a conversation. How would you know, talk about it? You know, sound it out. Because sometimes the way we, we even here in our podcast with our limited time, I, I'm very aware that sometimes we don't explain things as thoroughly as I would like to do because of the time constraint or we move it around with the conversation. So we can all do that, you know, and so it's good to talk to someone, you know, then you can kind of step to the dining room table, or maybe sit in the, in the living room with someone, and be able to have this conversation. Uh, but not to be afraid. The truth is, is liberating, and and oftentimes, and I and I share this story i have been in airports i've been in bus terminals train terminals many different places in my service to hli where people pose very direct questions and i've been in malls public gathering places where you know someone approached me in the middle of, of the mall and ask a question you know and so and to being able to to listen that's the first thing listen you know don't 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 shut someone out Do not ignore what they're saying. Listen to what that person says. And if you have time, obviously, you know, sometimes it's it's very quick. You only have that little elevator moment. But with family and friends, usually you can come back. So it doesn't mean I have to uh, go after everything all at once. Maybe I can plant a seed. But I give an example in a mall in in a different country. This uh, young adult, you know, approached me with conversations about human sexuality, you know, about marriage. And right in the middle of the mall. And I had hundreds of hundreds of people gather around and were listening to what was supposed to be a, a conversation between me and this and this individual. And it, I was amazed at how inquisitive people were. And so it's an opportunity that we, we, have to, we have to have, but to be able to listen to what people say and then be able to respond to them. So, Tan, I would start with formation, education, learning what the church teaches. And then reading, you know, maybe a counterpoint, you know, reading, what does the other side say about it? And then with a friend, again, like I said, what would be my response? So maybe the friend plays the kind of the the adversary, but to be able to talk it through because it allows you to think how to respond. Uh, There are a number of great groups doing this and I love it. I think it's great uh, how they do this. And and, and especially working with young college students who go out, you know, to, to evangelize. It's a great way to do this. The second thing I would say, Ted, is to, uh, if you, I mean, I have family members, you know, in in my own family who do not, who sadly do not, you know, share, you know, the full uh, expression of our Catholic faith in this regard. And sometimes, you know, sitting over a cup of coffee, you know, it'll come up. You know someone will make a comment about you know not being open to children someone will say something to me and in a way it's it's a kind of spark a conversation well sometimes it's just a spark that they want to do uh but i don't i never pass up a moment you know if if someone opens a door i'm willing to walk into it and and so but again it's also praying you know every day lord give me the wisdom give me the patience you know help me with the grace i need uh, not to be upset or angry, or take things personally. As you said, Tad, it really in the day, it's not about me. It's about our Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, and he says this to us, you know, that they, you know, have hated me before you. So in a sense, and they don't hate me. They they, they, they don't understand the teaching. And maybe they do hate the teaching. Maybe they just don't agree with the teaching. Maybe they think they're not able to live up to the teaching, you know. So whatever the dynamic is, we, that's why listening is important, and then being able to respond so prayer and formation, education, I think, are very key here. And also what I would say is just thirdly was, is be aware. You know, what, what is being proposed out there? I'm going to give you an example. Uh, we were, uh, my, some members of the mission team were in India uh, outside of Mumbai. And I remember, you know, in a college, uh, so uh, addressing some of these issues with college students. And it got very heated Very, very. uh, And so so the those of us who are in the mission team, of course, we do this so often and but doesn't mean that your heart doesn't pound a little bit inside your chest and you're trying to you're trying to listen attentively. You know, you're trying to be very respectful. And and we I would say we do a very good job because we we, we've had the practice. But the individuals that making the comments were very highly charged to the point of even, you know, being very shaking. They're so upset and with it and trying to you know to give people a chance to, to talk it through you know let them have the room to talk it out but the, the reason why i bring this up is that we have to know our own limitations and our own you know uh you know uh, disposition towards something how we can address it because you know if, if we get caught you know uh, in it and drug into the emotion it can be it can become a distraction and that's what I mean by, you know, being familiar. What, what are other people saying? And that way I can address that, how I can, I can approach it. So it, it's, it's, it's a moment within our families. And I think we haven't had this. I mean, uh, very rare does this come up over uh, a table conversation. I haven't had one with family members in a while. Uh, I think because, they, one, they don't want to talk about it. Uh, and, and two is they're, maybe, they're, maybe they're concerned with the response will be. So, uh, but I really believe we're in a moment where this, we, it's not going to be ignored. Uh, and, and I often think of, of uh, Father Marx's statement, which is a very bold statement that he talked about, you know, when you have parents who, who use, uh, you know, contraception, you know, the, the, the children that are, that are going to come forth, you know, are going to be raised in a very different mindset. You know, and he would say that a mindset that might lead them to think that fornication and other acts are, are legitimate, you know. And so, so, so when we have this conversation, a lot of times people have maybe lived in a certain mindset for a while, and they hear something we say, or the church teaches, or the bishop has written, or their parish priest is preaching on, and their immediate reaction is to kind of turn it off because it, they have to look at themselves. And so that's what makes sometimes these conversations so so emotionally charged, but again, we should not be afraid of that and uh and I, I would say that's why the formation education the prayer is is crucial to this, so that we can enter into this and have have a legitimate now, I'll give you an example of that, and I'll quiet down and let you continue in case you have another question but uh, I was um recently in back home in Louisiana, and uh someone mentioned to me that you know about the the, the have people having you know still this faint the little phrase having too many children and uh, and i said uh, and just said to this person you're absolutely incorrect so there's a lot of things out there that people you know they hear they believe that you know uh that are not grounded and uh, you know and so when you start exp- if they, so that's what i mean by being knowledgeable being aware what, what's being out there so you can respond to it so for me to have left that individual, you know, uh, in 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 their false understanding, uh, would have been wrong. So I took advantage of the moment, and uh, and for the next forty minutes, they got an answer, you know, and, and 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 but it opened up a conversation, and they said, "I didn't know that." I mean, uh, I, I didn't realize that. So for example, talking about what is the birth rate in the United States, you know. Tell me, how can you be overpopulated when when we when we actually are burying more people than we are giving birth to? You know how you know. So what, what's happening here? So we have to be able to challenge those those mindsets, uh, and with, whether it be family, whether it be friends, Tad, uh, whether it be you know uh, anyone in our life. You know, that Jesus sends us out. He doesn't send us, sends, send us out just to the comfortable. He sends us out to you know to all of our all of our family and to our friends and to our community so uh th- that's what's happening now i mean this this moment uh with Roe is making that happen
0: yes I think very clearly father that's the case um so um thank you for then for your very nice explanation of that one last thing on that front then as we're trying to talk about um you know Engaging this conversation, engaging in this conversation with our um, family members friends whomever wh- how can we determine you know where what God is calling to us you know the specifics because right. some people are not made to Go door to door. Some people are, right. and maybe aren't. Uh, you know, we're on a podcast here, etc. There are various ways of engaging in this issue. Right. I think it's always true that we can be doing more and uh, uh, more efficiently going about this, also. But um, you know, where does that begin with mm-hmm. the finding the right place we have to be?
1: I mean, I would say this. You know, coming from parish ministry, you know, most of my life. You know, it's for, for a priest your first entry point is going to be where you interact with people so that could be in a school system maybe you have a catholic school high school grade school it's where you interact not only with students but where you're interacting with their parents grandparents extended family Um, there are many ways in which we we are given opportunity you know to work with each other so but within that it's it's also an understanding of, of oneself so for example scripture you know teaches us you know there's a time for all things and I think that you know that uh, people have to know their own skill sets they have to know their own abilities and limitations um, and how to approach a subject um, so the what I mean by that is in in the parish what we tried to do when we were uh, forming a pro-life you know a very strong pro-life activism in the parish it was a challenge because You can't can't make the assumption that even those that come to want to participate are fully aware of the church's teaching. So the the first part of the formation was just that. It was formation. We're going to spend the next year, before we get involved in anything in a strong manner, of really forming the committee, forming the participants, the, the group, the core. And then that core is then able to go out and educate and train other people. But if if we're not prepared, you know, to to know how to address the issues, so in this case, the pro-life issues, the family issues, you know, again, not everything perfectly because there's so many aspects of it, but we want to get to the: what does the church officially teach? What are the documents the church is advancing? How can we study those documents? Many people have not read them. So even people that are with us, Tad, you know, have not read them. So that's what we did. And then the same thing. You know, working with couples, you know, who uh, uh, are me, not, uh, couples who are working with our young adults. So looking at the formation programs, looking at the catechetical programs, looking at, you know, the outreach programs. So this was a way from a parish, from a, from a Catholic community perspective, that you already have the structures there. The, the institution itself is already structured much of the daily life. So you don't have to be as creative, but you have to recognize these are the moments so in the high schools, you know in, in the high school formation, our youth programs, our youth ministry, and it depends on how people how they reference them, these are the moments to really start talking about some of these key issues and obviously working with their parents. Same thing with marital prep. you know how do we help couples who are preparing for marriage? You know that's another if you're working with adults, how do we help the adults who are helping those couples? So there are many ways uh, from, a, from a Catholic perspective, where we can enter in but entering in also means making sure that those who are doing the training doing the formation the education are themselves properly formed properly educated and are living the faith themselves and that they are are joyfully expressing that faith in daily life otherwise it it becomes it can cause confusion it can cause even some some scandal you know, if someone finds out that someone's living, you know, contrary, I'm telling you to do one thing, but they're doing something else. So this is very, very important uh, of, of a way of entering into that uh, and, and within a parish setting, within a, in a church parish setting. Um, we also found, you know, working with the local doctors, the nurses, you know, those in healthcare, you know, reaching out to them, you know, getting together with them on a regular basis, studying, you know, for example, the ethical and religious directives that are put out by the Catholic Conference of Bishops. In other words, you find a way to address the people in the parish in the various ways they are interacting with people. And I would do the same thing, you know, when working with some of the legal professionals in the community, you know, even some of the judges that lived in the community. Some of them were my own parishioners you know, have a conversation with them, talk to them, you know, let them know that you're there to help them. You know, maybe they might have an ethical question, a moral question. You know, all these wonderful people are really trying to serve a good. And, you know, and so we're here together to serve each other, help each other. And in this moment, if we're going to help people to understand that every life is precious, no matter how that life is coming to be, no matter what were the conditions, no matter what the circumstances are, that this life is a human life with equal dignity to my own. If we're going to advance that, if we're going to transform hearts and minds, if we're going to try to help people to have a deeper love and appreciation of the dignity of each person, we're going to have to talk about this. If we're going to say that, as I've done here, and we've been talking about, that contraception is a real fundamental issue we have to talk about why we have to not be afraid of talking about you know the big elephant in the room and not be afraid to address the consequences of that mentality but if, if we had a live audience right now tad calling in i know many people would say we never hear about this this is not being talked about you know it's not being preached on uh, you know th- we don't hear this from our pulpits and we talked about this last time there we have to as priests as a, as a priest you know, I have to find a way to introduce this, to bring it into my teaching and the way I help my own, my, those that I serve in the parish. So it's a challenge across the board for all of us, you know, on how we approach this. But we're not going to transform anything unless we enter into it. You know, it's not going to just miraculously happen. We have to be intentional here, and and that is really to me going to be the real challenge because we have a divided community. And we cannot ignore, even within the Catholic Church itself, we have a di- divided community. We have Catholics who believe that s- these certain behaviors and, and choices are legitimate and moral. And that's a problem. And that's been allowed to fester way too long. And so, it's, again, this is not just going to snap a finger and go away. And we, we have to be really focused here. And many have already been engaging this. So uh, that's a way, Ted, to, to, to move the conversation forward. And uh, other thing I would say is people use your skills. You know, uh, many people who uh, are, are great writers you know, who have access to writing in, like, from Catholic thing, you know, to crisis, to, you know, different uh, Catholic periodicals, uh, you online, you know, there's many podcasts out there, there's many Catholic radio programs, these are doing the yeoman's work, tremendous work, that is a skill, and that's where this conversation needs to continue to happen, and bringing things into the, into the public forum. I think also you know there, there people need to look at you know, back to our conversation Tad about you know our, our, our legislators both at a state level and a federal level you know the, we have some wonderful people doing great great work inside of those environments they need our support and so we need to involve good Catholic lobbyists we need to involve people who are advancing you know good legislation and, uh, and there are many skilled people out there that can write these kinds of bills that have the, 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 the intellect, they have the skill set, they have the expertise. Um, we, so I would say, Tad, we have to attack the mountain from every point. And that means everyone has to be in that. So you know, if we have uh, you know, young people, we have to address, how do we help our young people? If we have young people in college level, how do we address them? married couples you know young older you know the whole gambit and this is what i love about hli it's what i've always have loved about this great apostolic work is this is what we do and we do it globally and we you know, we've done it for over for 50 years now and it's an exciting work to be able to engage every part of the human family and to try to advance these wonderful beautiful truths of the church in those wonderful human experiences uh, and i've seen wonderful conversions i've seen transformations people have grown I've, I've i've watched people come from one side of the aisle to become great advocates for life and family and uh, do tremendous work and, uh, and it's an exciting place to be and and that's why uh th- this is a moment of, of, of opportunity so returning back to what we started with if we are given this opportunity is to see it as for what it is an opportunity it's an opportunity to do something good here, to right a wrong, to redirect a mindset, to change a narrative, to address the true human issues of daily life. You know, uh, and, uh, and that is, I'll go back to Texas, the heartbeat law. Where are the other states coming up with the funds to work with women in crisis situations that we've talked about so texas in its heartbeat law has put forth i think it's a hundred million dollars to work with those who are working with women in these situations or families in those situations that needs to happen you know so we have to really look at how are we going to address the issue not only with abortion how are we're going to address the issue on many other uh, uh, aspects of human life so i'm hoping that this conversation is going to grow and grow in a good way that's going to talk about the dignity of life and how we address human issues, human dilemmas, struggles of daily life, you know. And, and this, is an, this is the moment. This is the moment. You know, as we say, abortion should never be the answer, you know, to a situation, and it should never be the answer. So, But the question always comes, what, how are you going to help me then? You know, and we have to be there for that. You know same thing on the other end of the spectrum you know when we have many people who are dealing with sickly children or sickly family members that need help what are we doing to help what are we going to do about the elderly you know who seem to be alone and their family doesn't see, check on them you know there's so many layers of this Ted, that we need to address so here we are a great moment and i, I see this with great opportunity
0: Absolutely, Father. This is a wonderful opportunity, like you mentioned, and that's, I think, the best way to look at it, um, which is what it seems we've been trying to emphasize this uh, previous episode and this episode about the leaked Supreme Court uh, opinion, draft opinion. Um, So, with that in mind, uh, just thank you so much, Father, and I'm sure we'll be continuing to talk about this, if not next episode, then pretty soon, because uh, this is obviously the big ticket, hot-button issue right now, so... Um, thank you very much, and uh, let's all just pray for that conversion uh, of you know people who disagree with us, like you said, but also of ourselves so that we can continue to promote these ideas and really engage um, where God is calling us to. Right. Thank you very much, Father, and thank you all for watching and listening. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe and turn on notifications. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or the other podcast platforms, please follow us. Um, continue to share us with your friends and family, and uh, even those who maybe don't just don't agree with us. Um, maybe that'll get uh, some gears spinning. Um, regardless, thank you all for uh, tuning in, and keep on living the culture of life. God bless.